It's the last Wednesday of March, 2020, and I wanted to formally apologize for the delay of In My Head. With life happening, having to sever ties with many people, including my former podcast editor, dealing with the global pandemic that is a novel coronavirus, the social, financial, emotional, mental, and various effects and losses associated with COVID-19, this month is deeply affecting me as it is you. I needed time to breathe, assess, get my mind right before I shared my work and my heart with you again. I know there were a few people rejoicing that the podcast seemed to be down. Oh dear, you should always be worried when I'm silent. Since recording this episode with Midwin Charles back in late February 2020, Elizabeth Warren and Mike Bloomberg have both dropped out of the Democratic presidential race, and Harvey Weinstein, who was mentioned, has allegedly tested positive for the coronavirus. As of March 24th, New York's Governor Cuomo stated that New York has 5% of the world's COVID-19 cases. Globally, there are over 400,000 reported cases with over 17,000 deaths and over 100,000 people recovered. Please stay abreast of the latest information online. I want to say special thanks to all essential workers that are on the front lines supplying and protecting and providing aid. And since we are still in March, and this is still Women's History Month, sending love out to the women on the front lines taking care of others while fearing the safety of their own children and families. Thank you. These are unprecedented and uncertain times. It's very easy to succumb to fear, anxiety, depression, loneliness, and sadness, but I pray that you dig deep within and fight. I implore you to stay home, stay protected, follow hygiene protocols, boost your immune system, stay prayed up, and be easy on yourself. See you on the other side, fam. Blessed love. with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 32, celebrating Women's History Month with Midwin Charles Esquire. 
Attorney, TV legal analyst, and radio host Midwin Charles is the daughter of Haitian immigrants. She is the founder of the law firm Midwin Charles & Associates, LLC. She provides regular commentary on law, pop culture, and politics for various television shows and networks, including The Wendy Show, CNN, HLN, MSNBC, Bloomberg TV, and TV One. She's also a contributor at Essence Magazine and guest host for the radio program Express Yourself on New York's 107.5 WBLS. Active in community affairs, Ms. Charles is a member of the Dean's Diversity Council for American University's Washington College of Law, a member of the Board of Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network, WEEN, and a board member of the Haitian Roundtable. She has also served as a member of the Civil Rights Committee for the Association of the Bar of the City of New York. Ms. Charles earned her bachelor's degree from Syracuse University and her law degree from the American University, Washington College of Law. Hey, fam. Happy Wednesday. Your girl is back. (laughs) It's the third episode of 2020, and I'm so happy because now we are in the month of March celebrating Women's History Month. Damn, (laughs) y'all. We girls definitely know how to run things. And I could not, could not start the month of March off without having one of my sister friends in the studio. But before I get there, are you guys following me on Instagram? Come on, man. At R-E-A-L-J-Y-B-L-E-S-S-E-D at Real J Bless. And don't forget Twitter at J-A-Y-B-L-E-S-S-E-D. Damn, man. How you feeling? How you really feeling? This episode is going to make you feel good. We're going to cover a lot of topics. I got a strong black woman in here. Listen, this sister is the business, and I'm so happy that we finally made time to connect in the studio. Gosh, we got a lot to talk about. So, how about we get straight into it, Jay Birds? I want you to make some noise, show some love for my girl, Midwin Charles. <laughs> we got to get that whole ready to rumble music coming. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, Lou. Hey, darling. How are you? Girl, I'm good. Good. Happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month to you, too. Listen, I could not have thought of a better guest to have than you today. Oh. Thank you for making the time out of your crazy, hectic, out-of-this-world schedule. Crazy indeed. I feel I feel so honored and so grateful. Mm-hmm. You are most welcome. <laughs> Anything for you, dear. I love I love what you're doing. I support you as I've seen you over the years grinding. And and I really love what you're doing. I think it's a it's a it's a vital voice that's needed, particularly in the Caribbean community and the community at large. And so whatever you need, I will help you. This is just wonderful. I love to see sisters just doing it. Thank you so much, Mid. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover so many things in such a short space of time, but I know you got this. This is what you do. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> how about we kick it off by the question I always ask every guest. In your own words, who is Midwin Charles? Oh, Lord. Oh. <laughs> you know what? Midwin Charles is being defined every day, but uh, I can tell you that Midwin Charles is um, a daughter, a sister, a, a, an auntie, a tati. Yeah. Tati Winwin, that's what the kids <laughs> call me. Um, Midwin Charles is Haitian. Though she was born and raised in Brooklyn, her parents are Haitian, and so uh, her food, her culture, 
culture, her tradition is is through Haiti. That's where my ancestors are, um, uh, by way of Africa, obviously. Uh, Midwin Charles is an attorney, um, and that does define me in many ways in the sense where it um, forms how I think, um, how I assess things, how I reason things. Uh, Midwin Charles is also black. Yes. Blackity black. Blackity blackity black. <laughs> Midwin Charles is a woman. Midwin Charles is an intellectual. Midwin Charles is a foodie. Midwin Charles is an art lover. Midwin Charles is a people lover. Midwin Charles is a reader. I mean, the list goes on. It's very difficult to define me. I mean, it, you it said really reader, is. And I had to laugh Some because. Some people read. Yeah, but we got to say that not, in 2020. Not, not only do you read, you read. <laughs> I do read. <laughs> I do read. My sisters know what I mean when I say she reads, okay? <laughs> she would read you, okay? <laughs> You've been read. You've been read. You know what? I'm so happy that you brought up your Haitian heritage. So let's talk about that. How was it growing up in Brooklyn to Haitian parents? You know, I, I will tell you, I am a woman of a certain age. That means that I sort of came of age in Brooklyn in the 80s. And at that time, it wasn't cool to be Haitian, you know? Right. Um, I remember a lot of um, kids I went to school with. I grew up in East Flatbush, the East Flatbush section of Brooklyn. Ba, ba, ba. Shout out to the 90s. <laughs> ba, ba, ba. 96 on church. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you had to tell the dollar van when you got in, you know, when you got off on East 18th Street. You had to ask, you going to 96 on church? Because that was usually the last stop in no. the dollar cabs. And um, at the time, it wasn't cool to be Haitian. Right. You know, I remember some kids I went to school with who were Haitian. I mean, we never had an issue with it, but there were kids in school who would walk around, you know, pretending as though they weren't Haitian. We used to call them Jafakins because wow. they used to say they were Jamaican. Wow. When in fact they were Haitian, because back then it was all about, you know, HBO, Haitian body odor. And, you know, I remember when they came out with AIDS, they claimed that it, it came from Haiti. Right. Uh, so it wasn't cool. It wasn't un- until Wyclef came out with the Fugees, <laughs> then all of a sudden, right, and Tribe Called Quest, wow. I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, and Haitian, wow. we started to get a little bit of love in the streets, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but apart from that, I think um, growing up with Haitian parents and, and, a, and a huge Haitian family, I mean, I love my family. We are thick as thieves, and, and it really uh, is the platform upon which I stand and do everything that I do. But uh, growing up Haitian in Brooklyn was great because I, I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was from the Caribbean. You were either from Jamaica, St. Vincent, St. Kitts, Barbados, yes, Trinidad. Yes. Like I grew up in East Flatbush. Everyone had some kind of accent. Right. That that just was where I grew up. I did not even know a lot of African-Americans or right. anything like that until I got to college, until I went to Syracuse. But my worldview in terms of being black in Brooklyn and black in America was shaped by a Caribbean community. Nice. Um, and so that is basically my foundation. So I understand what it's like to be an immigrant. I understand what it's like to be treated a particular way because you have an accent. I understand what it's like to not necessarily know how things work in America, most importantly, the educational system. So my mother didn't know what an SAT was. She did not know, you know, the machinations to get into certain programs and to advance yourself. First generation. First generation American. American. That's right. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about your parents. 
Um, now, we know Caribbean parents are strict, but Haitian parents are stricter than all of them. Girl. You have to be a doctor, a lawyer, a surgeon, or engineer, and thank God. Thank God you became that attorney. Oh, God, your mother must have been so proud. She was. She was. But what, what did it cost her to sacrifice for you to be who you are right a now? A lot, a lot. I mean, we uh, grew up, like I said, East Flatbush, one-bedroom apartment, um, and we stayed there. You know, Mom, we that was our home for 30 years until I went through college, through law school, graduated law school, went to a big law firm here in New York. Did he say a one-bedroom apartment? That's right. Who That's was in the right. one-bedroom apartment? Me, my mom, and my sister. Wow. That's right. And I'm very proud of it. Wow. Very, very proud of it because yeah. by staying in that one-bedroom apartment, my mother was able to put me through Syracuse University and put my sister through NYU, who graduated wow. magna cum laude. She's the smart one, I always Yay. say. <laughs> She's the smart one. I'm a bit of a hustler. She's the smart one. She's the straight A. I'm the straight B student. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, my mother, she did a lot. She did a lot. You know, she wow. uh, really, really did a lot and sacrificed a lot. Uh, in many ways, I feel she sacrificed her personal life. She did not want to have any men around us, her two daughters. Right. Um, and I know when we became of age, we tried to, to, to encourage her to date and things like that. And she just was like, nah, forget it. I, I just do not want to have any men anywhere near you two. Um, so I believe she sacrificed that. I, I really wish she had, you know had a, a romantic relationship a little later in life and had a companion a little mm -hmm. later because she and my dad divorced when we were very young. Um, and, and so, but she sacrificed a lot. She really did. So the full brunt of parenting laid uh, at your mom's feet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom is both my mother and my father um, in many ways, and she excelled at it. You know, I know she, it was hard for her, though. I, I, I can tell. But we had a great family. Again, a support network. Um, we had uh, aunties and uncles, you know, so many aunts who are like second moms to me. You know, they braided our hair. My mother know how to do no hair. <laughs> she never learned how to braid no hair. And if you look at pictures of us when we were, like, young, if my aunt wasn't around on that Sunday to come and, and cornrow that hair? Oh, Lord. It just was... Yeah, anyone that follows you on social media knows that Tio, that's what we refer to yes, her, the elderly the one. The elderly one, um, yeah. Is, is, is the light of your eye. Yeah. Oftentimes, because you have a really heavy social calendar. She's oftentimes your plus one. She, she is. is. She, she is, is a welcome addition to any fet, and trust me, she can fet. Yes, she can. Okay, she, yes, she can. never miss a beat. Okay? Mm -hmm. Why is the relationship with your mother uh, of paramount importance to you? I think because I respect my mother. Right. Like, as an individual, right? Like, I, I think that I respect her, and my sister as well. We just respect how hard she worked to give us the very best, even on a limited income. Right. Uh, my mother worked as a nanny for a white family right. and um, for the same family for a long time. Great family. Love them. Um, still in our lives today. Uh, but that was what she did. And 
even with her limited income, she still saw fit to make sure that we had vacations. I mean, she could, she, this woman, what I tell you, (laughs) she never learned how to drive. We would be on that Greyhound bus going Going to where? Girl, (laughs) Bush Gardens. (laughs) You know, I remember one time she put us in Girl Scouts and the Girl Scout, girl, I still can't believe we did this, but we had no money. This was like the the black girls, uh, Haitian Girl Scouts. We went to Florida by bus. Yo, (laughs) what? 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 But we were kids, so we didn't realize how crazy that was. Right. It was fun. (laughs) Like, we didn't realize that you could fly. Like, it just was, (laughs) you know, it was just like Girl Scouts going. And that was our trip to Disney World and Epcot Center. Do they still have Epcot Center? I don't even know. I think so. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but my mother made sure that we did those things. She made sure that you had experience. Right. That we had experiences. We we went on vacations. We saw family in Canada. Did you ever think you were poor? No. Right. No. I mean, we we knew we weren't wealthy. Right. Right. But we never considered ourselves poor. Right. Because we always had food. We did take vacations. I remember uh, the first time we stayed at a hotel. (laughs) My sister and I, we were so amazed at the fact that someone else does the laundry. Wow. So we would just clean your room. Girl, (laughs) we would just be using the towels and just be like, oops, and just like drop it on the floor. Like someone will pick that up. You know, just amazed at, at at all of those things. And I remember she used to take us to the high-end stores in Manhattan. Nice. I remember one time she would, she took us to, um, there was, a, now I'm really dating myself here. Go ahead now, girl. Don't y'all go ahead and do the math. <laughs> but there was, back in the day, a department store called Gimbal's. Mm. Yes, I know, I'm going way back. I think it was called <laughs> Gimbal's. And she would take us there. She would take us to Saks Fifth Avenue. She would take us to Bergdorf and Bloomingdale's and just walk us around all the expensive things just to let us know what was out there, just to let that. us know the world that was out there. You know, the we had gymnastics lessons. Visualization. We had, right. We had you know, I remember she enrolled us at the Y. There used to be a Y on Atlantic Avenue and Third Avenue right there. But I remember we took gymnastics lessons there and swim lessons after school. Still can't swim. So I need I to interview mom to find out how she did that on a budget. Yeah. Um, it, like, like, I mean, and I'm, I mean a real budget. Like, well, I want a real know. budget. Yeah. That has to be when you really have to say it was God. It was God. But, but again, I think New York City, I think, still till today, is a remarkable place to raise kids because they there are a lot of free, uh, inexpensive activities to do. They mm-hmm. really are. Um, in the summertime, you've got free concerts. You've got there are just so many things that you can do for free. Right. And and the woman that my mother worked for was very good at giving her that information. Nice. You know, like she knew that I had asthma as a kid. So when uh, she got information about the Y having a program on swimming and gymnastics, she gave my mother the flyer and was wow. like, you know, I think your daughters would benefit from this. God and bless we got her. Yeah, we got enrolled and and stuff like that. I love the fact that you honor your mother. I've always loved the relationship that you have with your mom. And her presence in your life has really shaped you and your sister into the women you've both become. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that has also seeped into your career. I know that you practice criminal law and commercial litigation, family law, but you you also focus on elder care. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's such a powerful part of your practice because oftentimes our elders are overlooked and forgotten, um, but you've made this an integral part of your practice. You know, how has this part of your practice been 
doing? Has it been flourishing? Mm-hmm. Have you? Is this a niche that you've been able to really like carve out and do well at? Right. Um, it does, um, and it does flourish. It's, it's interesting because I got into this actually by happenstance, elder care lore. Uh, when I started my practice 13 years ago, so I, I let me just give a little bit of background. So I graduated law school, and then I went to clerk on the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit for Judge Clay in Detroit. And from there, I got a fellowship at Harvard Law School and worked for Charles Ogletree. After that, I worked at a large law firm here in New York, Freed Frank, for six years as a litigation associate. Then I got bitten by the TV bug. I started to do court TV and things like that. And I was like, ooh, I love this. I'm leaving. I started my own practice. That was 13 years ago, going on 14. And when I first started, I was like, wow, I, you know, what's the best way for me to get clients? Like, I had to make a name for myself. I had to, like, learn the ropes on my own. I didn't have the the sort of support network and infrastructure that a large firm like Freed Frank provides you. So I was like, what are some ways that I can get some cases? And a friend of mine was like, you know, if you sign up uh, with the court system, you can be appointed as an attorney in guardianship cases Mm. to represent uh, elderly people, usually they're elderly, but a few times they're not. But people who were alleged to be incapacitated, someone has filed a petition to become their legal guardian, an adult, to mm-hmm. become their legal guardian. And she was like, well, you can put your name on the list. And I always will remember thanking her for this because she saved my practice because it took me a while to generate a client base. Right. So I signed up and I started getting appointed uh, as an attorney and I would be paid through the estate of that elderly person or the city would pay me to depending on who was the petitioner in the case. So I'd be appointed either as their attorney or as a court evaluator, who is the person who investigates the allegations of incapacity. Right. Right, because if you're trying to become the legal guardian of an adult, trust and believe uh, the court system wants to ensure that the person, A, really is incapacitated, i.e., they're unable to take care of their medical needs, their financial needs. And two, the court wants to make sure that the person who wants to be the guardian isn't someone who is trying to take advantage of that elderly person. Because once you become a legal guardian of an adult, you have control over their finances, uh, their personal lives. Their property, their property, uh, medical care, Mm -hmm. taking them. It's a huge task. So the court requires a hearing, which is like a trial. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into it. And I just really, really love the work because for me, it feels almost like pro bono because Mm -hmm. you are looking out for the interests of that elderly person Mm -hmm. and making sure that they are not taken advantage of. Because trust and believe elderly people get taken advantage of all the time. All the time. Right. One, because it's easy. Uh, they are unable to understand what's happening. Um, so I encourage your listeners, if you have elderly people in your family or friends or loved ones or tatis or uncles, check in on them. You know, uh, find out who is the home health aide. Look them in the eye. Make sure they're not swiping Nana's watch. Right. You know, make right. sure that things are in order. Check in on them uh, because it's very easy for them to be taken advantage of, have them sign things, documents, right. contracts without them understanding the ramifications of signing certain things. I love the work. I really do. In the news, uh, we heard this weekend that... Um Barbara Elaine Smith, a.k.a. B. Smith, mm. uh, passed away mm-hmm. from Alzheimer's at the age of 70 on the 22nd of Feb. After battling with the illness for about seven years, and we're talking about this is like estate planning also, right? You know, who is your health care proxy? You know, who is going to make these decisions for you when you can't function? Um, and as you age as well. Um, her, her husband, 
Dan Gasby, you know, chose to care for her at home as her health deteriorated instead of putting her in hospice care. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of people torn between figuring out and, and have you in your own mind thought about that for yourself as your mother gets older? You know, am I going to be here with her every single day, mm-hmm. make sure she's at home in a place that is hers or hospice care or nursing home? Mm-hmm. Like, these are really difficult decisions to come to, especially when you have a flourishing career. Right, right. No, my mom isn't going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be, and if she were, it would be over my sister's dead body. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I think that um, we come from a culture where we don't put elderly people in nursing homes. Um, No tea, no shade on anyone who does because it depends on on the family's lifestyle. Um, Some families, uh, they don't have someone with a flexible schedule. So everybody has to get up and go to work in the morning and you can't leave grandma alone at home if she has Alzheimer's or dementia. I am not at all criticizing anyone who puts someone in a home. You may have to. You may not have any choice. Uh, We do have actually a family member uh, who is in a home right now, but he requires 24-hour medical care. So he cannot be in in a home. Uh, In fact, he he is completely incapacitated and intubated and everything like that. But no, I I think that um, depending on a family's finances, it's, it's really best to keep the person at home if you can. It's also expensive to put them in a nursing home. So expensive. Right. So, I mean, think five-star, seven-star hotel per night rates every day. Right. 24 hours a day. It's it's the biggest cost right now, and and a lot of people need to be planning ahead for that um, because you never know when you will become incapacitated. While while I talk a lot about elders in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's, there are also young people. You never know. You can have a stroke at 50. You know, I've had a client come and consult with me because her son was out one day shoveling snow and dropped dead of a heart attack. He was 40, Hmm. you know, or uh, I've had other cases where um, you have young people who are suffering from particular ailments and who are bedridden. So you never know. And so it's very important to plan uh, ahead for that if you can. Now, I know you 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 ain't you ain't a stranger to like, you know, dishing your your, your perspective on some tea now. And so with that whole Dan <laughs> oh, Gatsby, you know, I mean, you living know, girlfriend. Listen, it's Alex so Gardner. funny. I'm glad you brought that up. I was like, ooh, I hope she brought because I just texted that article to someone last night who was not aware of the shenanigans. But you go ahead with your question. Yeah, okay, so go so we, we know that um, with B. Smith and her health, you know, it was publicized a couple of years ago that her husband, Dan Gatsby, had his white girlfriend move in and live in with him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that living arrangement became publicized and everyone has an opinion. I really want to know yours. Do you think it was disrespectful? Or do Absolutely. You think it was? Okay. Absolutely. I watched his interview. I think he recently, I can't, can't remember who he did the interview with. Maybe Tamron Hall? I'm not sure. But he, he did an interview. Uh, I've read the articles and 
I've also met them several mm-hmm. times. I've met him and her at their at her restaurant in the Hamptons. She had a beautiful restaurant in Sac Harbor right. that I used to go to often, and she would often be there with him. Uh, in fact, I remember we had a book club. We read the book Sag Harbor by uh, Colson Whitehead, and we actually went to Sag Harbor to discuss the book nice. and, and at her restaurant. Just, Shout out the book club, yo. Yeah, yeah. Book clubs are good, y'all. Get into one. Get into one. They're great. Great. Great, great, so, great. But, so, your view is that it was totally disrespectful. My view is it's disrespectful. When I read the articles and I've read his interview, I tried to, to see what his what his perspective was. Why would he do this? Why would he, after years of being married to, to someone like her, have a girl, not, not just have a girlfriend while he's still married to her and she's still alive, but move the girlfriend in? And he says initially it started out as a friendship. And then he said at some point that friendship evolved into an intimate relationship. And his rationale is that he no longer has a wife, i.e. because B. Smith's mental capacity is gone and she is almost like a child. From his perspective, he was like, I don't have a wife, so I don't. And I still have needs. Exactly. I still have needs of intimacy and what have you. I understand that. I, I, I understand that you still have needs. Your wife is no longer there. But I come from a perspective of. Character, integrity, and respect. There are certain things that you hold dear to you, even if you're missing out on something. Boundaries. It's not just boundaries. It's this concept of, I may have needs, but I'm going to decide to put my needs on the back burner because I respect this person so much, and I wouldn't do that. In their face. In their face. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't understand what's happening. Right. Right. Like, so you don't disrespect or dishonor someone just because they don't understand the fact that they're being dishonored. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and my perspective is by having this girlfriend and this intimate relationship, you are dishonoring your marriage. I think you should have kept that to his goddamn self. There is that. Yeah, he should. You know, there's some people that really need to keep their private business. There is that. But, that. but that's the time we live in it now. People overshare. R.I.P. to privacy is dead, dead right. in arrival, unfortunately. But that's my opinion on that. I, I just feel like if you honor a person, you honor them even when they don't understand that they are being dishonored. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wow. Like, if you wouldn't do it if she had capacity, why would you do it because she lacks capacity? Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Wow. Right? Wow. If she was in her right mind, you wouldn't do it. Come so on. why are you doing it now? She would light your ass a fire and kick you out the goddamn house. Right. Okay. And we're, we're not even going to talk about where the money come up. Oh, jeez. Woo. No. Drop a bomb. Drop a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're about to switch switch gears a bit. Um, I'm going to talk about, you know, being a black woman in America. Oh, Lord. Yes, Lord. According to an Inc. article, black women earn about 61 cents on the dollar for the same job in comparison to men. According to the Institute for Women's Policy Research, black women won't receive full pay equity compared to white men until the year 2119, while white women will receive pay equity to white men in the year 2055. Have you ever felt shortchanged by an employer knowing that your male attorney counterpart was making more undeservingly? Absolutely. As a black woman um, living in America in 2020, I feel shortchanged every day. 
Mm-hmm. I feel shortchanged every day, and it's and what I think is important to understand with. Uh, those statistics is the reason why those statistics exist is, is obviously discrimination, right? right? Women face discrimination in the workplace. Every single advancement that women have made over the decades, and you got to say decades because it hasn't been that long, especially women of color, mm-hmm. have been because women have fought for that, right? Mm-hmm. No one has handed that out. Parity at work, we're still trying to get there. Uh, all kinds of policies, pregnancy policies, there's still companies that don't have them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leave policies, there's still companies that don't have them. The country still does not have an official paid uh, pregnancy leave policy. Um, it's not, it's, there, there's a Family Medical Leave Act, but it's not paid. And so I feel shortchanged every day. And let me explain to you why. Unequal pay is a sort of bottom line of what women are facing, and I'm glad you're covering this during Women's History Month. Unequal pay is the end result of where we are in America today, but the overarching idea, and I've encountered this all the time as a black woman who is her own boss and owns her own business, but where that comes from is this concept that women should not be compensated for their work. Truly. And I see it in many different ways. I see it play out in work. I see it play out with clients. I see it play out in court where I'm supposed to be paid a particular fee. I I see it where there's a rush to pay the man before me. Hmm. I see it where if I send an invoice or a bill on a case where there are other attorneys as well, my bill is questioned, but the male's bill is not. Right. So that's what I mean by shortchange. So I'm shortchanged in a lot of, and I'm con- we're, as women cognizant of it, and cognizant of it. But as women, we're constantly fighting. We're constantly fighting and pushing. No, I do need to get paid just the way Steve was paid. No, I do need to get paid this amount just the way Dan was paid this amount. So it's it's a constant push. And you'll remember when uh, Monique, the comedian, the black woman comedian, Oscar winner. Bars. Right. I'm listening to your bars right now. We're yeah, going to get to the read section. Yeah, but you'll, but no, but, <laughs> but you'll, it's facts. But, but no, you I have no issue with that. But you I know what remember. they did in that moment, though? Mm-hmm. They pit a black woman against another black woman, and the issue was really not a, about us against each other. It was really about pay equity, and that's, that's what she was vocal about. Precisely. And, and that happens all the time. And I, all I remember is when she called out, was it Netflix, mm-hmm. for not paying her in the same range as male counterparts. And she said it was it was sexism and racism. And of course it was. Let's let's get real. Yeah. We, this is America 2020. OK. Um, but I remember the fallout was how dare she approach it this way? How dare she say it this way? I don't like how she came at it. And like you said, it takes you away from the real issue at hand, which is the fact that a black woman is not being paid what she is deserved to be paid. And somehow and they can't get that support. It's like, who are you to even ask but for more? You but should just ex- take what you get. Exactly. And what's surprising is that support wasn't even coming from her own community. Come on. Come on, mm-hmm. on somebody. You know, a lot of us, mm-hmm. brown folk, mm. were attacking her. Mm. How dare she uh, approach it this way? Mm. You know, the the whole respect. Of, okay, we, we, can have a, we can have a spirited debate about how 
you ask for your money. But let's not lose. We can okay, do it. No, but, no, but no, wait, 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 wait. Is there ever a right way for a black woman to ask for anything? Because the fact is, once you're asking, they're always going to look at you like, why and, are you even and, asking? And that's what I mean by having the spirited debate. We are doing it right now. Right. So we can have that debate about should there be a way to ask? Is this is this respectability politics? Has that ever worked in the past? You know, all, we can have that debate, but still acknowledge the fact that A, she needed to be paid, and B, we still live in a society where that is a controversy. Mm. It is a controversy for a woman to ask for herself to be equally compensated. Remember when Hillary Clinton was running and uh, Bernie Sanders at the time and Republicans and Trump were making a big deal about how she gave these paid speeches to Goldman Sachs and she earned X, Y, and Z. Of course she's entitled Mm -hmm. to earn X, Y, and Z. She's a former Secretary of State. She's a former United States Senator. She's a former First Lady two times over. Of course she has insight that no one else has. Of course she is able to provide. No one is asking whether Colin Powell should be paid on his Mm. speeches. No one. He's a former Secretary of State. Mm. So we come from a mindset in America where women should not be compensated for their work, but men should. It's an automatic presumption that men should be compensated, but not for women. And and we need to address that. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, black women earn 68% of all associate degrees awarded to black students. Um, And the the percentage goes higher for master degrees, right? By both race and gender, a higher percentage of black women are enrolled in college than any other group. However, though black women may be the most highly educated, they only make up about 8% of private sector. How does it feel for you being the only black woman or person of color in the room sometimes? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's annoying. Um, I'm not going to say it's always easy. You know, I remember in law school, my section, the way they broke out our our law school was, um, uh, students got broken up from, if you had last names, A through H, you were in section one. And then section two was the middle of the alphabet. Section three was the last alphabet. So you took your class with 115 people, last names, A through H for the whole first year of law school. So we all got to know each other really thick as thieves. Shout out to section one and class of 1999 law school, (laughs) WCL, love y'all. But out of that 115, it might have been like three black people. Wow. Yeah. Every day in class, criminal law, uh, you know, property law, contracts, every day in class, 115 people, three, four black people. So I'm used to being and navigating in mostly white spaces. There are a lot of black people who do it. And shout out to all of y'all who are able to speak those two, three languages, right? right. You, you speak your black folksies. Yeah. And then you, you speak white folksies. You, co- you code switch. You, you code switch. To. And you're able to maneuver and excel. And, and then and, you speak Creole around right. family, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> et français aussi. Il faut pas oublier le français. Um, but, uh, you know, shout out to folks who are, who are, who are operating in the two spaces, but it's difficult. It's not easy because you oftentimes are in that position, in that moment, the standard bearer for all black people. And you oftentimes unfairly have to represent for all black people. Which begs my next question, you know, how do you manage being your authentic self as a black woman fighting against the stereotypes of being a black woman? 
all right, in corporate America with the demands and, and expectations of clients, of colleagues, of society? Like, how how do you manage being your authentic self and still having to worry sometimes or be concerned about other people's perception of you? Um, I I think that I've gotten to the point in my career and... Um, age <laughs> where with each passing day I care less and less about people's perception of me um, on the basis of race what I care more about is that people respect me for my work and respect me for the person that I am so I care less about how I'm viewed from that prism of blackness because I know that Black is fabulous and great. And part of my work that I do when you see me on MSNBC and CNN or SiriusXM or Wendy Show is constantly pushing back on the stereotypes and the assumptions that people make about black people. Because even black people make assumptions about black people, if you know this what I mean. True. Right. Because a lot of us buy into white supremacy because it's part of the system. It's ingrained. Right. From the day you're born, you're being fed white supremacy. We are our own worst day, enemies. Oh, absolutely. In many ways, yes. In many ways, but not always. Got it. Not always, it but in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. In the early part of the 2010s, uh, a lady by the name of Kesia M. Thomas, now associate dean of the University of Georgia, participated in a year-long development program for black women in academia. By the end of the program, she had coined the term pet to threat. And in 2013, she made it official with a study backing up the racist behavior. Have you ever been in a place where you went from the token black chick to now, okay, who the hell does oh, she think she yeah. is coming for? Like, oh, no. Yeah. Let's oh, cut yeah. her down. She's getting, she, she's smelling herself yeah. a little bit too much. Yeah. She's getting a bit too popular. Or oh, she thought because she's on TV now, right. she's somebody. Right. How? how, how right. That, how? Pet, that pet to threat is real. And, um, you know, I, I, I always say working in general, corporate America, it's a jungle. It really is for black women because on the one hand, uh, you know, they love a good token, mm. but you always have to behave as a token. Mm. Right? You, you, you have to be you have to be predictable. You have to say and act and behave. monkey see, monkey do. You have to behave and you behave. have to. And not only do you have to behave, in some cases you have to perform. But haven't we heard that word all of our lives? Yeah, Don't behave yeah, yourself. Yeah, like yeah. little girls should behave. Beha yeah, respectability. Respectability politics. Wow. And and then you get to a point where once you start to ascend or start to get the promotions or, or start to kind of uh, prove yourself uh, or show yourself as worthy for accolade, what happens is all of a sudden you become the black woman with an attitude or you become the threat or you become the, you know, I am intimidated by her when all you did is walk in a room, like wow. not say a single word, exactly. just you breathe. know, not pop a neck. Cause if you, if you really could go off, you, they haven't seen you go off. Not give a side <laughs> eye or roll not, it. Nothing just, at just, all. Just breathe. Nothing at all. Just breathing. And, and I, and I think it's because, um, Black women do not do passive aggressive very well. <laughs> no, the hell we do not. We do not. <laughs> it, it's just some women are better at it. And we'll leave it at that. In my head. Now that diversity is such a buzzword, 
You know, every everyone is talking about diversity. Yeah, it's bullshit. But we're not really hearing the discussion about equity and inclusion. That's right. Right. That's right. Um, what has been your experience with places that touted diversity, however, lacked mm-hmm. with equity, inclusion, and even retention? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, first of all, one thing I noticed is um, with diversity, like racism, um, predominantly white institutions or and by institutions I mean I mean school I mean work uh, I mean companies predominantly white institutions while they may want to be diverse or strive to be diverse they are always looking for black people people of color to do the work for them and much like with racism they're always looking for black people to explain it to them and black people to solve it no the lack of diversity is a problem you created. Right. Stop asking your black employees, right. you know, your black students to sit on the diversity panels and do the diversity work when it's your job. Right. The the black employees and the black students already have a job. It should not be a second and third and in many cases uncompensated right. job to, you know, direct you on diversity and, and help you with diversity. Yeah, you can you can consult with them, but don't lean so heavily on them to do the work. And and diversity in my opinion, after seeing it play out in workplaces, a lot of times it can mean getting the one or two tokens. Right. But the inc- push your agenda. Yes, yes. It it can mean getting one or two tokens in, but diversity just means getting them in. The inclusion part and the equity part means making sure that they become an integral part of the company, of the school, of the institution by training them, by mentoring them, just as you do their white counterparts. And that's what's missing. In the decision-making process. And the decision-making process. And, And that's what's missing. So don't tell me you've recruited five, you know, black students or or black employees, tell me how many are still there 10 years from now and tell me what positions they're in. You know, I'm I'm thinking about you being at Freed Frank and, you know, back to inclusion and diversity, right? Um, And now being, not being the owner of your own law firm, you know, how, how difficult has it been for you to build your practice as a black attorney? Hard as hell. Hard as hell. All right. (laughs) Let me tell you something about our own people. Let's talk about our own people first, right? Our own people, in many ways, again, because they buy into uh, um, our system of white supremacy. I've had people tell me, well, I, I prefer to go to a Jewish lawyer. Right. You know, I've had people fight me over my fees when I know that they have already paid a past attorney because I know that attorney Mm -hmm. who is white, a fee with no problem, no pushback. And so like we talked about earlier with pay equity, you're constantly having to prove your worth. Uh, I know what my background is. I know what my experience is. I know what my, how my skill set was built over the years with my past experiences. So I know in some cases I am better than that counterpart. Right. I know that in some instances, not all. Right. Not all. I don't do bankruptcy law. I don't do you know, there's certain 
areas where I don't know and I will refer you to someone else. But uh, it was very difficult initially. Now I think I've, I've found a good stride because the one thing I've noticed is you really have to kind of put that thick skin on and fight. Not only do you have to fight for your money, you have to fight for your fees, but you also have to fight for your time. You'd be amazed how many people want to call you and quote unquote pick your brain. No, don't pick it. Right. You you can pick it, but there's a fee. It's called consultation fee. Yes, you can pick all you want, but but there's a fee. And, And that took me a long time to recognize as well. Now you want to consult with me. It's two hours, but there's a fee because my time is my money. That's how I make money. It's my time. Reclaiming my time. You okay. may. Okay, thank you. You, you may. <laughs> okay, um, Maxine. <laughs> according to the Harvard Business Review, imposter syndrome can be defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that override any feelings of success or external proof of their competence. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? No. Look, that is a Haitian mother raising this black girl to let her know she is great. No. Let's move on. No, not at all. If I could just drop one quick nugget. My mentor told me, uh, Charles Ogletree, who's a professor at Harvard Law School who I worked for, um, he's retired now and, and battling Alzheimer's, and I wish him well. I remember when I worked for him, he was he's just so popular, so well known. Google him if you don't know who he is. He represented uh, Anita Hill in her hearings uh, in the Clarence Thomas uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings when she uh, alleged that he had some um, sexual Mm -hmm. whatever. Google it. Google him. Incredible professor. Represented a lot of people outside of being a professor at Harvard Law School. Black man. And I remember being in the car with him and he was always working. I mean, he'd be like, oh, meet me at the Starbucks at 624 in the morning. You know, and and by the time I met him, he would have read five or six different newspapers because that's what you did back then in the in the in 2000. You know, this whole social media Twitter thing wasn't popping like it is now. He read actual newspapers from all over the world and he had them read by 6.30 in the morning. And and I remember being in the car with him and he would get calls from Supreme Court justices asking for his advice on things. He just was so well-loved by white people, too. Like, just brilliant. And I asked him one day, how do you do it? Like, how do you have everybody eating out of your hands like this? He was like, you have to know more than they know. Hmm. It's that simple. You got to read more. You got to study more. You just have to know more than they know. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've seen you a lot on TV talk about, voice your opinions on Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. R. Kelly, Wendy. Bill Cosby. Yeah. Um, I know how you feel. I know you're passionate for women's right as a black woman fighting every day for your even your own name. Um, I saw the interview with Gail and Lisa Leslie um, regarding that question about Kobe's rape case. What were your initial thoughts on Snoop Dogg's response to Gail? I was, you know, I saw it because I follow Snoop. I love his feed. His feed is, oh, he always got little jokes. He's funny. I love Snoop. I love what he's done for hip hop. He's a legend. At first, I was really shocked, but I, I was really hurt. I was really 
pained by it. And it's funny because there's right now there's a whole little uh, Instagram people coming at me because um, Jada Pinkett Smith, Red Table Talk, is in, has interviewed him. And I put a comment saying, I'm so glad you're talking about this because the way black people come after black women, black people, men and women come after black women is too quick for me. It's too easy. And I'm glad you're talking about this. And people came after me. Oh, but Gail was wrong. Gail was wrong. Gail was wrong. Let me tell you how I feel. Gail was wrong. The interview was inappropriate. The timing was bad. The questions weren't even questions that would elicit any information that was helpful. Um, uh, it, it, it was not a good interview from a journalistic perspective, from a timing perspective. You know, I think it's important when you're a journalist, even an attorney, any professional to understand the concept of fallback, wait. It's called empathy. We see them do it with other people, but, but not not with us. So in many ways, I can critique that interview with seven, eight different things I can tell you that was bad about the interview. But it is entirely possible to do that without calling Gail a bitch. It is entirely possible to critique someone to the 10th nine, let me tell you how you did this wrong. Boom, you were wrong how? You were wrong here. You were wrong there. Without me calling you a bitch. Like, a, why? A dog face bitch. Or a dog face bitch. And then to say, oh, watch out, I'm coming for you. Like, for, you know, he's alleged, alleged, to have gang affiliations. You can't be call, you can't be doing that for a black woman who was interviewing another black woman. I understand the interview was bad. I agree the interview was bad. I agree the timing was bad. I agree the questions were bad. I agree it was in bad form. But it doesn't mean that you get to call Gail a bitch. And it doesn't mean that she needs to be ripped to shreds this way. It's too easy for us. Would you agree that... Many black men do not respect black women. I think I all yes, and I think many black women do not respect black women. We got to talk about this. That's why I was so happy Jada decided to do it because we need to have a real conversation about why are we so quick to denigrate black women above anybody else? Why were we so quick to to come after Monique for asking for more money? Why are we so quick? to uh, uh, defend black men who hurt black women. Why are we so quick to defend the, the R. Kellys of the world when they are hurting us? They're hurting black women. They're not hurting white women, they're hurting black women. Why? Here's one more point I wanted to make about the, the Gale thing because uh, what Snoop did was bring in uh, the fact that Gail uh, was perhaps friends with Harvey Weinstein. He started posting pictures with her with Harvey Weinstein and Oprah because Oprah at one point was going to do a documentary about Russell Simmons and I believe she's since dropped out. And so there was this whole attack on Oprah and Gail about how she's coming after black men and she hates black men and she's trying to cut black men down. Come on, y'all. Really? I mean, really, I, 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 I beseech, I ask, I encourage anyone who thinks that that Gail and Oprah is interested in taking down black men to just just look at the body of their work for the past 20, 30, 40 years. Like people are too. And I know they call it what they call it now. Cancel culture. Like people are so quick to 
to debase and denigrate and disrespect someone off of one thing without focusing on the big picture. It's it's important that we start doing critical analysis. Can we bring that back? Critical analysis and nuance. Do you really think that Oprah and Gail for for the looking at the 30 years of work that these two women have done want like their mission in life is to take down the black man I, are I, you serious i, I, I just really? a, just a time in here i don't i don't think many people think their mission is from my perspective to take down black men it was I, though those I, were I, the comments they but, were like they hate black and men i'm not and, i'm not anti gail or anti mm-hmm. oprah i feel like a lot of times you often see them praising white men, but rarely you see that same kind of energy when those white men fail as opposed to when a black man fails, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like there needs to be some sort of balance. This is a very nuanced conversation. Yeah, no, it's right? good. This is, what we, this is what I mean by having a great conversation without calling each other bitch. That's, this is perfect. And most this is of good. It, I mean, like, we can see, like, her, you know, her really best friend right now is Jay-Z, you know, like, we can see her with the with, with token... Black men. There are black people who have token black friends. Mm-hmm. Let's be very forthcoming about that. Mm-hmm. There are black people who really hang out with people in their income bracket that of may course. not be black, of course. Of course. and they have a couple token black friends. They don't uh-huh. like to act black. They don't like they don't like the term of being get like. There are black people who try not to be black. Okay. And I feel there are a lot of people who felt that, you know, Oprah is kind of far removed from her community. Okay. Because even the Oprah Winfrey show was mostly targeted for a lot of people they felt to white American women. Okay. Uh, even though her topics and her subjects are quite universal, okay. it's, it's almost as if she was there to, you know, cater to white America as a, a lot of black people did not feel as if she catered to them. So there is this feeling that, you know, is she far removed from us? Like, I feel like her personally, I feel her messages are universal. Mm -hmm. I feel that the black people that do pay attention to her see the message that she shares. Um, I feel like sometimes black people feel that, you know, I don't know. It's so layered when we talk about Oprah and Gail Mm -hmm. and when black people become very wealthy and sometimes our own people feel like they're they're kind of left out. They're not in the conversation. They're not a part of their crew anymore. They're just mm-hmm. they just hang out with white people. But like, I but I still don't know that that means that Oprah and Gail and I think people were thinking that because Gail had also done the R. Kelly interview. Right. So it's like attacking two, you know, attacking two black men, one dead, one here. Right. But does she... And that's another reason why the timing of that interview with Leslie was in poor taste. She should have realized that Kobe and, and those eight other people, including his daughter, had recently died. And so she should have had the wherewithal to say... I'm a fall back on this. It wasn't a day. It wasn't two days out. It was at least a week, yeah, right? But yeah. I mean, but still, but, I would have, I would have, I would have exercised. But it's sort something of, that's that's going to be talked about. Should should Kobe now escape these very valid questions now because he's dead? Mm-hmm. I, I think. I think personally, I didn't think her timing was bad. I just think it's such a sore subject for a lot of people. It is. It is that they just don't want to talk about it. it not is. a week after, not a month after, not a year is. after. It still will be too soon. And that's why I think the interview was bad because she didn't. She didn't approach it in that way. Right. In this exact way that we're talking about. Right. Like I think that because she is. 
a journalist and has been for decades, I think that she could have done that interview in a way that would have been more palatable. For example, she could have gone into the history. And I think that one of the reasons why black people are black men and black women are so sore about this issue is because it's 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 mired in our history in America. When you talk about Emmett Till, who was killed for allegedly whistling at a white woman and later to find out that she lied. You know, there's so many black men who have been falsely accused of raping white women or sexually abusing white women. So when you talk about it from that perspective in that lens, I think that's why people were so upset about it. And the Kobe case was complicated because let's be clear, Kobe did give an interview after and say he could understand why the girl would feel the way she did did with respect to consent. But again, how you approach an interview as a journalist is is a is I think a sign of your level of professionalism and your craft, and that's why I mean by how she did the interview was bad, and I still think the timing was poor to ask that question. You could you could ask that question six months later, four months later, but not a week after he died. Not good. Let's switch, not good at all. Let's just switch topics really quickly to mm-hmm. politics. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's trial has just concluded, Midwin, and he was found guilty on what? Yes, um, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape in the third degree, uh, but acquitted of two of the most serious uh, criminal charges. As you know, the jury in New York uh, convicted him of third degree rape of Jessica Mann, a former uh, um, actress, uh, as well as a count of criminal sex act in the first degree against Mimi Haley, who was a former Project Runway production assistant. Um, Now, what's interesting is that Harvey Weinstein was not found guilty on two counts of predatory sexual assault, which are actually the more serious charges because he could have faced life in prison for those, um, which I found surprising because his actions are quite predatory. But in total, about more than 80 women have accused the Oscar-winning pr- producer behind Pulp Fiction and the King's Speech of sexual assault and harassment going back decades. So for people who kept saying, you know, what about Harvey Weinstein in response to R. Kelly? Well, now you know, guilty. Justice has so, been served. Next. So how, in, in terms of years and what a pun- his punishment might look like mm-hmm. what do you think that might be with this oh. with this charge uh, with with the with these charges, he could be looking at anywhere from five uh, to ten years in prison. I don't know that he'll get all of that, but he will most likely uh, have to register as a sex offender, which is quite interesting and surprising. I mean, what's astonishing about all of this is Harvey Weinstein was the most powerful person in Hollywood for a long time. He was a kingmaker, and so that's why I thought it was really weird when people were posting pictures of Oprah and Gail with Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, of course, like everyone wanted their picture taken with him back in the day. He was the kingmaker. You know what I mean? If you were a who's who in Hollywood, you wanted your picture taken with Harvey Weinstein back in the day. But I digress. Um, uh, This is big. This is really big. I think it has implications for the Me Too movement, which I think was something that propelled a lot of these investigations and a lot of these um, sort of prosecutions. Let's face it, prosecutors were asleep at the switch when a lot of these women did come forward and go to prosecutors. They just simply didn't prosecute these men. Same with Bill Cosby. It took years to finally have a trial. Hearing 80 women came out against him and hearing that he can probably get between five to 10 years Doesn't that seem like a slap on the wrist, though? It is. But what I think a lot of people fail to realize is that 
the sentencing for rape and sexual assault charges is not that much, yo. Like, <laughs> people don't seem to realize, again, American society is constantly telling women that they don't matter. And here is one way that is indicative of that. I mean, there are people doing more jail time for the, the illicit use of drugs, right, than rape and sexual assault. There are some men who just get probation. They don't even go to jail. Right. So it's important as, as women, as a community, to constantly keep pushing and forcing the justice system to hold men and women, women, women violate these laws too, accountable for violating people. Well, this is important news right now during Women's History Month. And Midwin, thank you so much for sharing this news with us. Goddamn. In my head. So who do you believe will be the best Democratic presidential candidate? Right now left, I think Elizabeth Warren. I really do. And why? Elizabeth, I think, listen, I think Elizabeth Warren has great ideas on how to move the country forward in terms of getting us out of the status quo. But I think she has, like she likes to say, I have a plan for that. I think that she is able to demonstrate how it can be done um, in a way that Bernie Sanders can't. You know, just yesterday he did a 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper. Bernie Sanders was asked, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all? I, was like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, every nickel and dime. And uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like, well, what are you selling if you can't tell me what I'm going to get when I buy it? Whereas I think Elizabeth Warren does a better job of telling us how is how she's going to pay for things, how she's going to do things. I also think she has a better temperament mm-hmm. uh, right now. Joe Biden, I think, is... Okay, but I don't think that Joe Biden generates the level of energy that's required to get him over the finish line. And you can tell by how he's been doing in the last three primaries that that people just aren't energetic about him. So I'm not sure. I think he'll be a fine president. I think Elizabeth Warren will be a fine president. Amy Klobuchar, mm, meh. What advice do you have for the people who say that Mike Bloomberg is worse than Trump, so they're not going to vote anyway? Okay, the last part, not going to vote anyway is bad. Always vote. Always, always vote. I don't care if you have to hold your nose, which black people have been doing forever. We've never had great choices. Get out of your funk. So if Mike Bloomberg becomes the Democratic nominee, yes, I will vote. Absolutely. I, I highly recommend everyone vote. Here's the thing. You should always exercise your right to vote, even if you don't like the choices. I do not like Bloomberg. You can follow me on Twitter and you can see I go hard on him. I'm a native New Yorker. I live through stop and frisk. I live through all of his policies. Uh, in in some ways, in some ways, I think he can be more dangerous than Trump. And here's why. He's smarter. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. He's smarter. I'm telling you right now, we would be in way more of a deeper hole as a country if Trump was smart. <laughs> he is not. So he's being led astray by a variety of different people. And you can tell that's why we have so many firings. He's on his, like, what, third secretary of state. He's on his seventh uh, comms director. Oh, he's a hot mess. He's He's a total hot mess. But if he was smart, oh, would this country be in a mess? Would this country be in a mess? But I, I don't believe in not voting. 
even if your choices aren't great. You know, and and I often have to, you know, when Bloomberg came on the scene and a lot of white reporters were shocked that he was doing well with some black people. They were like, oh, my God, you're you're black. How could you vote for Bloomberg? I mean, uh, you know, he's stopping frizz. This is so crazy. Like black people. Oh, my God. I'm like, let me tell you something like you just got a window into what it's like to be black. We never had great choices. Mm. You know, in my do you feel pressure uh, to settle down and get married and have children? Or has your very Haitian mother stopped asking you? She stopped asking me. I'm sorry. <laughs> her, her whole thing now is like, between just, just bring home the baby. Bring home the baby. I don't care where you get it from. But, but Just bring home a baby for me. But is being you know married with kids, that whole married with kids life, was that something you ever wanted? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's something I still want. It's something I still want. And um, for whatever reason it hasn't happened yet um do you think it's because you chose your career no i think it's because i haven't met anyone or i did and it didn't work out for a variety of reasons but i haven't met anyone that i felt like oh my god this is who i want to ride or die with forever you know what i mean like i've met guys where i'm like oh this is someone who i want to ride or die with for 22 months (laughs) okay okay sis And as an attorney who does divorces, I think I made the right choice. Wow. (laughs) Because some of y'all are marrying when you shouldn't be marrying. In fact, a lot of you just look at the divorce rate. How how has it been as a successful attorney trying to date, though? Is it hard for you to find your equal? Are you looking for your equal? I mean, how do you find these men on an app? during your travel in the museum in the no. courtroom like, you know everywhere throw a sis. like where you finding these men girl <laughs> on the A train like you can, train. you can be you know you can, listen what come do you on do ladies you, <laughs> you know you can be the dude anywhere honestly uh, interracial dating is a thing uh-huh. and oftentimes we see successful black men dating outside of their race to which you know many receive flack however when it comes to successful black woman dating outside of her race, she's often vilified and dragged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, sis, does the pickings of black men really get slimmer the higher you ascend the ladder of success? Girl, now, Lord, why are you going to ask me that? Um, this is so much better than talking about Gail. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? She rich. She going to be all right. Um... Do the the pickings get slim? I think I think the pickings get slim. Not so much with black men, as more all men as you as you reach a certain age. Are you stuttering, Midwin? No, no, no. I'm just I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. So it's not so much that the pickings are slim for black men. I think the pickings are slim. For so, all men, because you, once you reach a particular age as a woman, you have a very set life and you have so many obligations and commitments that you can't always be out, you know, six o'clock at the bar. Like you you can't do that because you have to take care of a family member. Work is demanding. Like, you know, it's it's difficult, I think. And also when you reach a certain age, everybody's married, everybody's Mm. spoken for, Mm. or I think it's harder to meet a man in this age group who doesn't have a lot of baggage, who doesn't have, you know, a whole bunch of stuff he's coming with. Is your your list realistic? Oh, sure. Absolutely. What's your list, though? My list is smart. Mm Mm-hmm. 
My list is smart. My list is smart, uh, clearly self-sufficient, you know. Uh, Can he have kids? Sure. Can absolutely. he have been married before? Absolutely. Can he make less money than you? No. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. No. <laughs> no. In my head. Juggling, you know, your work life, preparing to give life with your reads on TV and needing to maintain your entire life. How do you unwind from the madness to preserve your peace, your privacy and your mental health? Um, to preserve my privacy, one thing I, I, I don't do, which you got me to do today, is talk about my personal life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't do that. You'll If you follow me on any kind of Twitter, Instagram, going back years, you will never see me posting about anybody that I've ever dated or she, am she dating. Listen. I don't play that. I, mm-hmm. I never do. I, I just don't believe in that. You I'm can't old... claim her, yo. She's <laughs> claiming you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just old school that way. Like, nice. I, I still believe in privacy. I think we live in a time and age where y'all talk too much overshare diarrhea of the mouth stop it stop Mm -hmm. it stop it stop it that's one two I unwind in a lot of ways there are a lot of things that I enjoy I love art I love music so going to concerts like we did last week was fun we saw Jill Um, I love going to art fairs I love hanging out with my friends my book club ride a dive we've been together 12 years still pushing so there are a lot of things things that um, and I've been trying to do more of it but because I'm a legal analyst political analyst and I I have to always be on top of the news it can be very stressful it gives you anxiety it does so I find ways to kind of turn off the phone and read a book, you know, read right. a really good uh, uh, fiction book. What are you reading right now? It's called What Looks Like Crazy. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Women's History Month. We got Midwin in the studio. We're about to wrap this interview. Um, I'm so happy I've been to, you know, Ween's galas and you are a board member. Um, and, and this is an organization that you're very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it for you to mentor young women of color? Oh, it's vital. It's key. I would not be where I am right now sitting in this chair in front of this mic talking to you without mentors. I could not have done any single thing, any single thing without the help of someone else. I have no problems naming every single person who has helped me along the way. I owe them a debt of gratitude. And so I believe I have to pay it forward because I think for women of color, a lot of times we don't have access to certain opportunities because we just don't know. We just don't know what it takes to get that opportunity. And so mentoring is where I think, I hope I can fill in the gap for for young black girls. And, and they need it. They need, they need to see uh, and need to know that black women are out here doing incredible things and shining in light of all the adversity and bullshit we face on a daily basis. And willing to share information with them. There's so it. many people that make it up and pull up the ladder and don't put it back down. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thankful yeah. that you do that. Alright, you can't leave without me talking about fashion, girl. Your fashion game is always stunning. Oh, I know we shop you. all the time. Oh, I appreciate that coming from you because you don't play, sis. <laughs> so Your t- fit is always <laughs> it. <laughs> Listen, I love when we go shopping. So tell us some of your favorite black designers. Um, I love what Faye Noel is that yeah, what you Fee call Noel. Fee, mm-hmm. is it Fee or mm-hmm. Faye Noel Fee, I Felicia. love what she's doing yeah one of these days I have to gather some coins and purchase a piece I love her stuff I love Victor Glimaud Haitian yes, Haitian. Mm. Haitian sensation um, I love um, ooh, 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 what's her name um, 
Ah, oh, the name is escaping me. But those two come to mind. So uh, do we do high and low end? Like how do always, we make the, Okay. Always, okay. always, always. These jeans I have on right now from H and M. Nice. Uh huh. Um, I'm, I strongly believe in, in high low. Ladies, do not spend all of your coin on clothes because there's a whole world out there waiting for you. There's travel. There's spa time. There's there's so many experiences that you should enjoy and trust me you will if you delve into them so don't spend all your money on clothes and bags it's done yeah let's do that on home ownership yeah home ownership and much love Mm -hmm. to you because after growing up in a one bedroom apartment with your mom and your sister you were able to purchase your own home yeah at what age what was that in my 20s yeah 29 Amazing. 29. All right, we're closing up. So I want to do some rapid fire questions with you. And it's funny you should mention feet. So since it's Woman History Month, before you go, let's sprinkle some black girl magic dust and honor some powerful ladies using one word only mid. One word, okay? How would you describe these ladies of Caribbean and West Indian heritage? Let's go. Judge Sonia Sotomayor. Fierce. All right. Cicely Tyson. Elegant. Yvette Nolshore. Effective. Janine LeBird. Oh, um, infectious. Rihanna. Powerhouse. Mona Scott Young. Driven. Finuel. Creative. Joanne Reed. Brilliant. <laughs> and though she may not be of Caribbean heritage, we must honor our forever first lady of the United States, Michelle Obama. One oh word. God, extraordinary. Hi. <laughs> Midwin, you need your own show. What do we have to do to make this happen, girl? We need to get your your weekly read, your daily read. Yes, just like talk, we're in talks, we're in talks. Think things 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 Right here, we always breaking exclusive. Right here in my head, things For anyone listening who wants to reach out to you, how can they do so? Uh, uh, Instagram, you can always DM me at Midwin. Twitter at Midwin Charles. Facebook. Uh, my law firm uh, is info at charleslawfirm.com. That's charleslawfirm.com. Info at charleslawfirm.com. Before we wrap up, who would you like to send some love out to? I'd love to send some love out to all black women. Um, shout out to all black women. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Try that thing. I know it could be scary. Uh, Just know that there are a lot of people out here rooting for you, no matter what it is that you're trying to do, trying to get out of, trying to get into. Just know that there's some sisters out here that are rooting for you and want to see you win and shine. Yes. Midwin Charles, girl, I love you. Thank you you so much for being up in here. You're welcome. To my listeners, to Harold and Women's History Month, who are some of the women of color and of Caribbean heritage you admire? Don't forget to use the official hashtag, hashtag HeadWithJB, to share your thoughts on social media in my head so what's playing in my head well my girl and i had the honor of being at radio city hall in new york city to witness the 20th anniversary of jill scott's first album who is jill scott so in honor of my girl midwin and all the ladies doing a damn thing i had to drop one of her biggest hits and my favorite golden 
Let my light light go. Okay. Anyway, special thanks to my dear friend, my dear sister friend, Midwind Charles, for blessing the podcast with her flavor, her candor, her wit, her humor, her down to earth realness. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at M I D W I N Midwind and on Twitter at Midwind Charles. Don't forget to follow yours truly on IG at Real J Bless and Twitter at J Bless. Happy Women's History Month, y'all. This has been another episode of In My Head. 